Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. We are all running from something. We're all trying to elude, to evade, and to somehow put off one thing. Death. It's what it is. How many of us wake up and go, today's a good day to go? I mean, honestly. And if you say it, more than likely you're saying it in jest because of the burdens, the problems, the troubles, the workload, whatever it may be. Lord, it would be better to be in heaven today than to be here dealing with what I have to deal with. Truth be told, we like to live. We like life. We like our friends. We like our family. We like to do the things we do. Evidence of that, for me, uh, really hit home this past week. Uh, for many, many years, I have been ministering to an inmate in the federal prison system. When I first met Daniel, uh, Daniel had what would be a life sentence, 55 years in the federal maximum security prison in Tucson, Arizona. That's a life sentence when you are... 40 some odd years old getting that sentence and yet Daniel wanted to live every day he wanted to live he wanted to make amends for his sinful life he, he brought himself to a point where he even invited individual confession and absolution well Daniel's health began to deteriorate and just about the time I came here Daniel was moved to a prison hospital. They have such things in Kentucky. Well, Daniel and I continued to talk by the phone and exchange letters, and Daniel's desire was to live. There's been several occasions where I thought this might be the end. Daniel, all of a sudden, was diagnosed with cancer. And yet he rallied back even after losing 120 pounds. And even the chaplain called me thinking this was the end, and it was not. My last letter with Daniel talked about his persistence in pursuing a compassionate release. He's bound to a wheelchair, he's incapable of getting out, and just wanted to get out of the prison and into a military-run nursing home. He was a uh, veteran of the U.S. Navy. Just a week ago, I got that letter. And then Monday, I got the phone call that Daniel had died. A man given a life sentence in prison was fighting to live. It's what we had last week in the Gospel reading. Mary and Martha reach out to Jesus. Their brother Lazarus was sick. Jesus says, I know what I'll do. I'll wait four more days. That's what I'll do. And Lazarus dies. And when Jesus gets there, he's already in the grave. He's all wrapped up. He's dead. He's gone. Life was over. That is, of course, until Jesus shows up on the scene. And Jesus has compassion. And Jesus speaks a word, and Lazarus comes back to life. We love that story. 
And when Lazarus comes back to life, we are told crowds begin to gather. Crowds want to be a part of life, not of death. Crowds want to celebrate what Jesus does. Crowds want what Jesus can give. Just consider your own self for a moment. We diet, we exercise, all trying to escape the inevitable. But it can only be postponed. And this is why Lazarus is such a curiosity to the people. You see, Lazarus has been to the other side, whatever the other side might be, and this is why these large crowds are now gathering. It's in John chapter 12, verse 9. It reads, When the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. I mean, come on, who would not want to see that? Who wouldn't want to be in the presence of not only Jesus, but the one Jesus rose from the dead? And the truth is, is that word began to spread fast. Now, mind you, there's no internet, there's no social media, there's no smartphones. It is word of mouth. And how quickly the word begins to spread. Just look at the next couple of verses. Verses 12 and 13. There it reads, So they took palm branches and they went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. This large crowd that had come to the feast wanted to see Jesus. And they greet him as a king. They greet him as Hebraic royalty. They greet him as one who has life and power over death. Word about Jesus spread like wildfire. Now, remember, it, this isn't happening in, in a vacuum. If we really were to just dig a little bit in scripture, every single time Jesus performed a miracle, healed a sick person, or taught with authority, word began to spread. In fact, what did Jesus always say to those he healed or those around? Don't tell anybody about this. Clearly, they were not good listeners, were they? And yet, word begins to spread. And, and that happens today, does it not? When something big is happening, word begins to spread. When something powerful occurs, word begins to spread. When people see the unbelievable, word begins to spread. But there's a problem. You see, there are some crowds, some in the crowds that gather to plot and kill Jesus. So they don't like the word. They don't like the message. They don't like what he represents. Fill in the blanks of what they don't like. And I think there's a lot of truth in that in the world today. And we just have to back it up a couple of verses here in this text. It's verses 10 and 11. So the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well, because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away 
and believing in Jesus. I mean, they wanted this story gone because Jesus was a threat. Now, for the scribes, for the priests, for even the Pharisees, Jesus may have been a threat to their authority, their position, their power, and the like. Maybe Jesus just annoyed them. You know, there's many occasions where Jesus kind of puts them down and puts them in their place because of their inappropriateness. Truth be told, there's death and there's life, and they're terrified by that. I want you to consider for a moment how he handled death today. You know, Lazarus died, so what did they do with him? They wrapped him up properly and put him in a tomb. And there's a marker, there's a grave, there's a stone, and they go out and remember Lazarus. In fact, remember when Mary goes out in last week's gospel? They all follow her because they all think she's going to the tomb to mourn. And, and don't we do that with cemeteries? You know, you could drive around, and I remember as a child growing up, we would pick up my grandmother, and we'd go and visit the grave of my late grandfather. And we would put out flowers and visit the graves of other relatives and do so to remember. It was all about remembrance. You know, a number of years ago, we took our family when the children were little uh, down at that point from where we lived in New Jersey to Washington, D.C., and there by the Lincoln Memorial is the Vietnam Memorial Wall. You all know the Vietnam Wall, that kind of black wall with all the names engraved in it. And, and I remember looking at it. It's a very powerful monument. You know, it's not a statue. It's not a... It's not a thing, so to speak. It's a wall with the names of the deceased. And there, there were, there were flowers and teddy bears and other things, you know, scattered around it. People were doing rubbings of the names on the wall. But the truth be told is that that's what they are. Names on a wall, reflections in the stone. And have you ever stopped to consider that one day, you know, flowers will be placed and memories will be shared, and then one day, those who know those will be gone. And they'll be just names on a wall. And that is all is what precedes Jesus entering Jerusalem on a donkey, is this conflict over death and life. There are those that are excited because this Jesus seems to have power over death. And there are those who are fearful because this Jesus seems to have power over death. And where does that leave us? I think today as we enter into Holy Week, death is not the end. And if we want proof of that, all we have to do is ask Lazarus. Because he's seen the other side, and oh, by the way, now he's back in the flesh. You know, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14 says this, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, 
that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil. Now we know he's talking there about Jesus. See, death causes families to be taken captive by grief and sadness. I mean, I, I have to admit, on Monday, I was sad. I had a lengthy relationship with this individual. Good old Daniel. What made me even more sad is when the chaplain told me, I'm his next of kin. I am his only person in the world willing to claim him. You see, Jesus, he came into the world to show us that Satan's grasp of fear is shattered. Death does not have the final say, and that Daniel's name is written in the book of life. That even though I was his only next of kin in this world, there were many next of kin in the life to come. And what is the seal of that? It's, it's the cross. It's, it's the empty tomb. It's the resurrection. It's, it's what's going to unfold over the course of these next few days. This is our simple truth. Jesus conquers death. Jesus has the last say. And how do we know this? We just have to look at the stories of Scripture. Remember the boy in Nain? The hand of the dead girl? And of course, we know all about Lazarus, who laid in a tomb dead for four days. And was that enough? Was that enough for the people to go, hey, this guy has power over the grave? Well, I go back to last week's gospel again. It's verse 37. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept Lazarus from dying? They're still doubting. And even after Lazarus is risen from the grave, they want this put to an end. And if we look at the world today, how little has changed. So I'm going to ask you a question as you, as you consider the beginning of Holy Week, as we celebrate this Palm Sunday, why are you here in the pews today? What has brought you to church. What is it that you personally seek as the story that is so well known to all of us unfolds one more time? I think for many of us, ultimately, we are seeking comfort in the face of death. And that we want to know that we can seek hope beyond this life. That it doesn't just simply end here. And so as we begin this holy week, the crowds gather. The crowds gather there in Jerusalem, and as the children reminded us today, they waved palm branches, which would be the sign or symbol of the entrance of a king, and they took off their outer garments or cloaks and laid them down on the dusty path because these were the feet that were carrying the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. 
Maybe another way of saying it is that riding on the backside of this donkey is hope incarnate, hope in the flesh, hope from sins committed and sins repented, hope from the power of the devil in this world, hope in the face of death. And so the crowds gathered and waved palm branches and spread cloaks because Jesus offered to them hope even when death is always looming around the corners of our life. So I'm going to ask you again, why have you come? And to be honest with you, this is kind of a trick question because there is only one right answer. The answer is we come to worship Jesus. We come to worship Jesus, the one who brings life in the face of death, forgiveness in the face of sin, who brings mercy in our grief and care to our broken hearts. We come to worship Jesus, the one who brought hope and light and peace to our lives. We come to worship the one who conquers death for you and for me. Every so often, a theologian has something rather profound to say. One who lived in the late 19th and early 20th century was a man by the name of Karl Barth. Karl Barth would say this. Our position is such that we can be rescued from eternal death and translated into life only by the total and unceasing substitution which God himself undertakes on our behalf. I love how theologians can use so many words. When he could have simply said, Jesus died and rose again for us. And that's why we gather. As we look at Palm Sunday and we wave palm branches and we sing familiar hymns, I want you to consider that the cross was before Jesus waiting at the end of that road strewn with palm branches and cloaks. His heart was troubled, but it was for this reason he came. The Son of Man, he would say, must be lifted up on the cross for only then would Satan's grasp of our hearts and of our minds be shattered. And knowing and believing this, may the peace of God which passes all understanding, may it keep your hearts and minds through faith in one Lord Jesus Christ. Now and unto eternal life. Amen.